0: We're reading this evening from Philippians chapter three, verses seven to 16. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own.
1: Amy, thank you very much for reading for us. Um, If you haven't met before, my name's Jay. I'm one of the ministers here at Chalmers. And uh, it'd be a pleasure to meet you after the service. Please do come up and say uh, hello. Uh, What I encourage you to do, just as we go through this passage, we're going to look at um, the second half of that reading um, from verses 12 to 16. Uh, Keep it open in front of you. It's going to really help you uh, as we go through. Now, before we look at what Paul says here, Let's just notice Paul's aim. Sometimes we have to guess what the aim of a passage is, but Paul tells us in this passage what he wants, and it's in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So what Paul says, is about to say here in these verses, is the way that mature believers must think. His aim is to bring us to this mature way of thinking. Now, with that in mind, I wonder if it's worth just us giving a bit of time to consider, well, how is it that we normally measure maturity? Now some may measure maturity just by time or longevity. So some may say, well, look, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and therefore I am a mature believer, of course. Now the implication of That is that the silver-haired ones of us are the mature ones. And the new believers, or the young people, well, they must be the immature. Now, there is some hint of truth in that kind of way of thinking. That age often does bring a kind of wisdom. But we know, don't we, that there are many old fools out there. And there are plenty of wise young people people like Timothy, who in chapter 2 Paul commends as someone whose example we're to follow. So it can't be just as simple as age equals maturity. Others may insist that maturity runs in sort of direct correlation with education, that maturity is gained through learning, and so the more that you know of the Bible, the more mature you must be. of course, there's another grain of truth in that, isn't there? That the Bible is what God uses to grow us in maturity. But it's obviously not a direct correlation, isn't it? You can know the scriptures inside out and still be a fool. And many people are, including the opponents of the Philippians, whom Paul tells us not to be like. Christian maturity, then, is not measured by age or longevity in the Christian life nor is it measured by education or knowledge, although both those things may help. Now, still others, I think this might be quite a common view, they evaluate maturity by a sort of measured, detached-from-emotion stoicism, that it's somehow immature to express emotion, be it grief or joy or passion or just sort of having a laugh, that that's somehow immature. Maturity to these folks looks like kind of everything in moderation, a sort of respectable stiffness. And, well, those who do express emotion or have a good time, they're constantly thinking, well, you know, I wish they just sort of calmed down a bit. And to that attitude, we must say, well, self-control is a biblical virtue. Of course it is. But we find the scripture's testimony of mature believers is that they often run hot with emotion and with expression of that emotion. So, Jesus himself, he's often weeping with compassion, or at times he's fiercely hot with anger. And Paul, too, in this letter, if you read through the letter, you see he rejoices again and again and again. He's very, very warm and he has such a fierce anger towards the opponents, mutilators of the flesh, he calls them. So Christian maturity cannot be this kind of cold, emotionless respectability. But if it's not measured by age or longevity in the Christian life, and if maturity is not measured by education or Bible knowledge... And if it's not this kind of unemotional stoicism that so many seem to think it is, well, what is it? What is the maturity that Paul wants for us? He says in verse 15, the mature must think this way. What way? Well, if I were to sum it up, it's simply this the mature are those whose lives are all about Jesus. That's it, all about Jesus. A mature Christian is someone who loves Jesus with all their heart and so is becoming like him in godliness. And of course that then can be someone who's young or someone who's old, someone who's been a Christian just a few months or someone who's been a Christian for many years. It can be someone who knows lots of the Bible or hardly any. And it can be someone who expresses their emotion or who keeps it in. Love Jesus is maturity. A mature Christian is one for whom pursuing the knowledge of Jesus is their goal. Paul says, To live is Christ. And that's what he wants us to be able to say, too. So do you want to be mature as a Christian? Well, if so, Paul says, learn to think this way in verses 12 to 16. That's a fairly long introduction, but let me pray now as we have that in our minds. Lord God, as uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be not immature, but mature. So would you change our thinking through what we see in these verses? so that we might become mature and follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to get us to that aim, Paul's going to use one dominant image uh, in these verses, and you may have picked it up as it was read. He wants us to begin to think of the Christian life as a race. It may be a long time since you raced anywhere. I know it's for me, um, but the Christian life is a race with Jesus as the prize. Now on the back of the service sheet, uh, it just gives you the flow of the passage and it'll help you to see the structure of these verses. So we begin in the beginning, verse 12, although we'll find that it's not actually the beginning. Verse 12, first part of verse 12, we need to know where we are in the race. Here we go. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, verse 12, obviously, is not the beginning of Paul's teaching in this passage. What is the this that he's referring to when he says, not that I have already obtained this? Well, logically, it has to be the bit that he's just been talking about um, previously. And what he's been saying is this, that Paul has come to realise that all of his good deeds and religious efforts counted for nothing in God's sight. And that actually they were getting in the way of his coming to Christ because he took such pride in them. Paul's discovered that instead of finding his joy and his confidence before God in his religious efforts, he's discovered instead the true joy, the joy of gaining Christ. Christ. And we saw last time, last Sunday evening, that to gain Christ was three things. It was to gain his righteousness, that is that we're declared right with God. It was to gain relationship, that is to know him personally. And it was to gain resurrection, to know the power of his resurrection in the face of suffering and the hope of resurrection in the face of death. To gain Christ was righteousness, relationship and resurrection. And the greatest of these, which he repeatedly mentioned, was knowing Christ, relationship with Christ. This is how he puts it in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him And knowing him more and more, he would increasingly become like him. To gain Christ is to know him. And to know him is to become increasingly like him in your character as you begin to share the mind of Christ. But Having said all that, Paul now wants to deal with a potential false understanding. People might get the wrong end of the stick. He wants to make it clear that he's not advocating for perfectionism. He's not claiming that he's the finished article, that, that he knows everything there is to know about Christ, he knows him perfectly, or that he's like Christ perfectly. Here's the first thing that a mature believer realises, that though they've begun the race, they're not finished. I know this is, a, this is a fairly simple point, but it's an important thing for us to grasp. We, we need to know where we are in the race of the Christian life. And so we begin the race when we first believe the gospel, we believe in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, and the race finishes when we meet Jesus face to face, either when we die or when he returns in his glory. That's the race. And the mature believer knows that they're in the middle, they've begun but they've not yet finished. And it's a long-distance race. And in fact, what the mature believer starts to realise as they grow in maturity is that they see more clearly how far they've come and how far there is to go. Their attitude is always, as pauses not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. They say, look, I'm so glad for how far Christ has brought me. But as I go on, I realise that there's so much more of Christ left to discover. Now, I'm going to show my age to you here. When I was a kid, there was this computer game called The Legend of Zelda. Okay? Now, I realise as soon as I say that, I may have lost many of you, either because you're too young or because you're too old. <laughs> uh, but try and stay with me. Now, the new thing about this game when it came out was the size of the game. So the way it worked is you played this character called Link, and uh, you explored this vast 3D world, and you were defeating all the bad guys, and you were solving all these puzzles, and that made your character stronger as you went through. But then, just as you reached the end of the world, you'd go through a door, and it would open up into a whole new world, an even bigger and more beautiful world to explore. And so you'd explore that world, and when you'd done, you thought, well, surely we've reached the end of the game now, and it would open up into a whole new world, and there'd be a whole new place to explore, and it would keep happening again and again and again. It's just pretty revolutionary in the, in the gaming world. Now, the mature... Believer knows that that's what it's like with Christ. As you go through life, you realise that you cannot exhaust the beauty of Christ, of knowing him, that there are lots more worlds of beauty to discover about him. And at the same time, as the believer discovers more and more about Jesus, well, they start to see themselves more clearly as well. And they say of themselves that I'm so glad of the work that Christ has already done in me. But now I see, as I see him better, I realise how far short of him I fall. And there's so much more for him to do in me. But the immature believer, on the other hand, well, they sometimes act like they're already finished. As if they've already made it somehow. Nothing to work on, nothing to grow in, nothing to learn they say to themselves, sometimes out loud, but mostly to themselves, "Oh, not, not this again, not Mark's gospel again. Now, I've already covered this. I know this bit. And I know that because I've found myself saying that sometimes. And the immature believer, when, when you speak to them of their sins in their life, you ask them what they're struggling with, well, they can hardly think of any. What happens is they just sort of coast along they drift through life with no urgency and no drive because they do not grasp that they're in the middle of a race and so they slow down or even stop moving forwards so this is the first way to think as the mature do know where you are in the race that you're not yet finished that there's a long way to go there's so much more of Christ to know and so much more of you to work on until you meet him face to face and are made like him. Okay, next thing. Verse 12, uh, second part of verse 12 to 14. Pursue the prize with all your heart. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's one of the great questions to ask children and you'll get a whole range of answers. Now, I'm not gonna tell you which one of my kids said which, there's three of them, so you can choose. We've had these suggestions at various points uh, in their lives. A teacher, a hairdresser, an architect, an interior designer, a preacher, a pilot, a shop owner where the shop the people coming into the don't give them any money. They give everything away for free. <laughs> and a computer gamer. Now, I'm sure you can guess that some of those suggestions get sort of more enthusiasm from me and Joe than others. But it's a great question to ask. Of course, the answer conveys the interest of the child. It conveys really the desires of their heart, doesn't it? And the question also touches on something that's there in all of us. And that is that we have this expectation that one day we will grow up and our lives will become satisfied, that our hopes and dreams will come true, become a reality for us. So what is your goal? What is the prize that you're after? What is it that you're running towards, that you fear will bring this completeness to your life is the prize a successful career maybe some of the things that i mentioned or is the prize a romantic relationship is the prize a family or a certain amount of wealth or comfort for your retirement See, all of us have something that we're running towards that we have a goal, a prize in our minds that we're chasing down something that we feel will bring us satisfaction and contentment I wonder what yours is here's the problem though will we ever win that prize? now those of us who've reached a certain age obviously we begin to realise that often those dreams don't turn into reality. Yet the circumstances of life get in the way. You know, it's too late for me now to be the centre forward of Leeds United. I'm not going to make it. The scouts aren't watching on Monday evenings when we go and play five-a-side. And if they were, they wouldn't sign me up. Perhaps though, even when we do get them, when we do get the prizes, that we've set our hearts upon, we realise that they don't satisfy us. We get that career, or that relationship, or those children, all that wealth, and we think, well, is this it? Is this all there is? And so we find or oh, we need another prize to run for. We just change the prize. We, we go after something else instead that we think will satisfy us, and then we go after another, and then another, and then another. Our goals so often leave us wanting either because we never attain them or because we do and we realise that they don't deliver. And what happens is we live with this sort of permanent disturbing dissatisfaction in our hearts. The Apostle Paul claims here that there is one aim in life, one goal, one prize that we can spend our lives pursuing that will never leave us dissatisfied. There is one race that we can give our lives to running that will bring us that sense of completeness and satisfaction that we long for because the race holds the prize at the finish line that all our other prizes are just mere shadows of. Listen to verse 12 again. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice the urgency and the effort that Paul uses in this race. Verse 12, I press on to make it my own. Verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal. The word for press on here that gets repeated, it's the word that in verse 6 was translated persecute. It means to pursue to hunt down. See, Paul used to use all his energy to pursue Christians to their death. But now he pursues Christ with that same zeal. In these verses we see his motivation and we see his manner and we see his prize. His motivation's this. I press on to make it my own. Why? because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has made Paul his own. Paul knows that Christ gave his life to save him, that he took Paul's sin upon his shoulders and paid for it, bearing the wrath of God upon his shoulders at the cross, before rising from dead to new life. And Christ, in his grace, has chosen Paul, Now Paul, he's doubtless thinking of his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. Paul was running in the wrong direction and yet Christ in his grace spoke to him, met him, turned him around. And so now he spends his life pursuing Christ. That's his motivation and so it must be ours. Christ has made us his own through the cross and so we must press on towards him. Next we see his manner, how he runs. And he does two complementary things, things that all runners, all successful runners at least, must do as they finish the race, particularly as they near the end. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now it's sometimes the case that Christians lose impetus in the race, don't they? And they lose impetus by looking back. And I think they could do that in a couple of ways. One, they could either look back and see how well they're doing. They see their successes, and what happens is they become proud of all the things that they've achieved. See, that will stop someone from focusing on Christ, won't it? That will take them off track. It will put their focus on themselves. Or, and perhaps this is more common, they'll look back and they'll see their failures They'll see the times that they stumbled and when they tripped and fell. They'll see when they sinned and when they sinned grievously and when they sinned repeatedly. And so they'll become discouraged and lack the will to carry on. Paul says either way, whether it's your successes or your failures that you're looking back to, either way, forget where you have been and strain forwards. Open your stride in that direction, the direction you need to go towards Christ. The race isn't behind you, it's ahead of you. So press on to the prize. And what is the prize? Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now there, there is some debate as to what Paul means here by the prize. Does he, does he just simply mean heaven? Is that what he means? Is that the prize? Well, it it could be, but I think this is what he has in mind. In in the Roman games, the victor of the race, he received a prize. He received a wreath, a a laurel wreath, or a crown. And they were literally called up to the podium to receive that prize from the emperor. That seems to be what Paul has in mind. The wreath is nice... But the real prize is the honour bestowed on you by meeting the king. It's meeting him, that's the real prize. And given the context of what Paul has been saying before, I think that the prize here is best understood, not not as heaven as such, but as one commentator puts it, the full and complete gaining of Christ. Paul has his gaze fixed on the prize of knowing Jesus as much as he can in this life and in knowing him fully as one day he will meet him face to face. And as he comes to know him more and more, he's increasingly made like him. So Paul might ask us as we ask our children, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are you aiming at? What's the goal? What's the prize that you're running for? The career? The romantic relationship? The Family life, the the amount of wealth that will make you comfortable in your old age. Don't let your gaze be distracted. All else will leave you dissatisfied and disappointed except Christ. Christ who died to make you his own. So pursue the greatest prize of knowing him. Well, we're coming into land. Drawing to the finish line, in fact, I should have said that uh, instead. The final two verses of our passage are a little bit tricky uh, to work out um, what they mean, but I've, I've summed it up like this it's on the handout. Listen to your coach and keep going. So, verse 15 and 16. Now, do you remember Paula Radcliffe? She's one of Britain's greatest ever athletes, and her victories in marathon running, particularly, they're legendary. Um, she dominated the sport for a number of years. Now, if you, if you can't remember her, she used to run with this kind of characteristic head nod, she kind of, I can't really do it, she kind of did, did sort of that, and it looked like she was struggling all the time that she ran. Uh, but she wasn't, It's was just a, her natural run. Now, as, most, as with most top athletes, they, they would have setbacks along the way, and she had several, and um, obviously is a big deal um, for that kind of running. In particular, she faced uh, a tough time in a race in Edmonton in Canada now the criticism that she often had during her career was that she she lacked that sort of big kick at the end uh, to accelerate away from her opponents and in that particular race she accelerated out to the front too early and she was then overtaken by three Ethiopian runners as she closed to the finish line and so she was beaten but that wasn't what made the news, what made the news was that after that race her husband who was there watching who himself had been a runner and, and a good runner um, in his time and who was very active in her preparation he absolutely berated her for her tactics in front of the tv crews and that led to a tearful Paula uh, shoving him away it really wasn't great it was pretty ugly to be honest now, they're, they're still married, that's not the end of their story, and, and it may just have been a bad day, I don't say that for that reason. But I'll tell you that just to make this point, that, that no athlete runs on their own. Every athlete that has ever been successful faces setbacks, but when they do, they have a team of coaches and supporters encouraging them, giving them advice, helping them to keep going. at times there needs to be correction, of course there does. But if they're to stay the course, they need the shouts of encouragement, not the shouts of harsh criticism. And the Christian life is no different to that. We need a coach. Now who is our coach? Well, we have Paul as our coach. He's a former athlete in this race, and he himself is now our great supporter. And here he is encouraging us. He's urging us on. He's laying down the basics in our training. He's reminding us of the prize that awaits us when we finish and the great joy there is ahead. And the letter of Philippians is, that's in that sense, it's his coaching of us so that we may know what it takes to run the race well. That's why he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. He's coaching us. But there's also a sense in which God Himself is our coach. Now I hesitate to say that a little bit because that's not all He is. He's the Creator. He's the Redeemer. He's the Lord and the Saviour. He's the King of the whole universe. He's not He's not just someone we kind of bring alongside to give us a bit of help. But listen to how Paul ends verse 15. Those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. See Paul knows that the story of the Christian life is not one of instant perfection. He told us that. God does not correct everything wrong with our thinking in one big lump. That's not how it works. Just as a good coach does, he graciously reveals his truth to us step by step, bit by bit, lesson by lesson. And as we listen humbly and closely to his instruction, we learn to run more faithfully. All the while, as we cling tightly to the, the basics of what we'd already received in the gospel, to what we've already attained. Listen to the coach humbly accept his instruction and keep going and we can be sure as has said in chapter one verse six that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of jesus christ let me close with just two questions if you're not yet convinced of the claim of Jesus over your life, if you, if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. Well, let me ask you, what prize are you running for? And do you really believe that that prize is worth giving your life to? Could it be that God is revealing to you this evening, through his word, that there is a better prize to consider One that will bring real satisfaction and true joy. The prize of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, here's the question for us How are you running? Know where you are in the race, you're not finished. Pursue the prize of knowing Jesus with all your heart and all your energy. And listen to your coach. Listen to the word of God and keep going. Let's pray. Our Father, it is our desire that we become mature. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would teach us to have Paul's attitude here, that we could say these same things one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help us, we pray, to listen to your voice and keep going. In Jesus' name, Amen.